This is More in the Morning. Filling in for John Moore, here's special guest host, John Tory. Well, and a good morning to you. A good Friday morning at that. And so uh, looking forward to a weekend that'll be a bit cloudy, but I'm sure pleasant for uh, many people indeed. And uh, uh, I will look forward to uh, sitting through here until 10 o'clock. We'll have a chance to hear from some of you after nine, because with the new uh, hours of the show, we get a chance to do a bit more of that uh, interaction, which I always have enjoyed. Uh, We've been talking this morning a little bit about uh, a report, a very important report, I think, because, um, you know, it's funny how the pandemic, it certainly doesn't fade for our next guest because something very personal happened to her. But for a lot of people, the pandemic fades because you start to worry more, whether it's about good things, uh, you know, that have happened or whether it's about inflation or affordability or any kind of thing like that. But we had a pandemic that took thousands of lives right here in this city, many of them elderly people. Um, And, uh, you know, I think there's going to be a need for a much more detailed review, even than the one that has been done by the Ontario Ombudsman. Uh, But his findings are that the oversight of long-term care homes largely collapsed, to use his words, uh, during the pandemic. Uh, And uh, our guest... um, is someone who uh, experienced that in a very tragic way. Kathy Parks lost her father, Paul, who was a resident of Orchard Villa uh, during the pandemic. And so uh, for her, I'm, I'm sure the reaction to what could otherwise be seen as just one more government report is, I'm sure, very personal. Ms. Parks, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me on. Well, thank you for coming on because I know that, you know, the people, everybody knows out there, we've all lost people. I lost my dad, uh, you know, I think 12 years ago now, and I mean, it still hurts. And you lost your dad in in difficult, dif- different circumstances where it was during a, a pandemic. And, um, you know, d- does the report sort of bring it back? Because uh, it wasn't that long ago to begin with. And now we've got this back, you know, right front, front and center in front of us uh, talking in particular about uh, long term care. It does bring it back. I, I mean, losing a parent is always difficult, but I think there's an element to this, like a tragic element that is a bit scarring. And so, uh, you know, three years on and you think that you kind of know everything and nothing can affect you anymore. And then a report like this comes out and you realize, no, nope, it's always going to kind of dig in deep. And some parts of it do take me back to three years ago. Which is Well, upsetting. I was just going to ask you that question. Does the report in talking about the fact there weren't inspections and there weren't things happening that should have been happening, you know, does that kind of remind you of what you saw with your own eyes and experienced with your own situation with your dad and that you just knew things weren't right and that, you know, while you didn't know what the consequences could, would be for your dad or for his fellow residents, that it was going to be that there were just things that weren't right? Absolutely. And I think that when you first put someone into long-term care, it's like walking, you know, trying to feel around in the dark. You don't really know what you're doing. And it's a really quick learning curve. Um, some of that information, I think a lot of people associated with long-term care already knew. But there were some specifics to Orchard Villa in there that I didn't know. And I think that's sort of what hit me the hardest. And some of it doesn't match with what I do know. So it was upsetting to read. So uh, do you have hope? Uh, you know, you you've, you uh, obviously probably don't have as much interaction with the long-term care system now with your dad gone. But do you have hope that when these reports are written, this one has, you know, a multitude of recommendations that anything will happen? I'm worried. You probably heard me say just in introducing you that, you know, the pandemic, amazingly to me, because for me, it was even a searing experience having to lead the city of Toronto through it. And the fact that these thousands of people in, from all different walks of life died, 6,000 in Toronto alone. Uh, and yet... We don't talk about it anymore, and I, I guess maybe in part because we don't want to talk about it, either because there was individual tragedy involved, like for yourself, but also just because we we sort of move on so quickly. Do you think there's a? Are you optimistic that these recommendations will be uh, will be implemented? 
Well, you know, I understand that it's difficult to focus on something so intensely upsetting uh, for sustained periods of time, unless you're directly affected like myself. Um, as far as hope, I, I heard that they're accepting, the province is accepting all of the recommendations. I haven't seen a lot of movement um, other than this push to try and build new beds at any cost. Um, so I don't really have a lot of hope that the inspections are going to have more teeth. I think, you know, the important thing that the ombudsman had to say for me, the most important was you have all of the, these things that are happening and these violations and, and the repercussions are so mild. If we could even just see that change, it would make a huge difference in long-term care. So you're talking about much stiffer penalties. I mean, if, you, if we come and we do inspect you and we do find you're not complying, then you're really going to pay. When I say pay, whether it's monetary or otherwise, you're really going to, there's going to be a, a consequence to your not following the rules. Absolutely. Like uh, fines. And then after, you know, if there's not improvement, we need, they need to talk about removing licenses and revoking them. Or, yeah, or you know, I, I can tell you, though, having sat, you know, as the leader of a government here in the city, one of the challenges you yeah. face with that, and I'm not saying it's a reason not to do it, but is that if you, uh, I don't I don't remember how many people live in Orchard Villa, but if you sort of take away their license, then all of a sudden you have, you know, pick a number, 150 people on your hands, you have to go find a place for, and there's not exactly 150 vacancies. So it makes, it makes governments disinclined to do that because it just puts people in effect on the street, some of the most frail people of all. But I think I think you're right. I, I sometimes, having been in a lot of these long-term care facilities across the province, think that, you know, things that were done for the right reasons, and you probably saw this happening with your dad, they, they literally measure how much food your dad eats, and that's because they want to have a record of it in terms of his health, but they also want to be able to say to you, well, he's not eating and show you he only had an ounce of chicken, and they literally measure all this. And I sometimes worry that, you know, we have so many regulations in place now that some of the things that are more important to the health and well-being of people, including during a pandemic, are not paid attention to because there's only so much a staff member can do, you know, in terms of keeping track. Do you have any sense of that or not? I, I agree, but I will say that my personal experience was even if they were recording how much he was eating, they weren't informing me, uh, you know, not only his daughter, but his power of attorney. There was a lot of information that wasn't shared, um, and especially so during the pandemic. So, yes, too many regulations can cause problems, but that's where they sort of need to pull back and look at the bigger picture of what's the most important. And I mean, infection prevention and control staffing. Those are the top two. Fix those, you know, and, and then you'll have a, a trickle-down effect of, the benefits of long-term care. Well, and in asking you, as I will, as our final question in this uh, interview, and I thank you again for being with us, uh, I will say to you the lessons we learned in the early stages of the pandemic were not necessarily what you expected, which were, first of all, infection control. And of course, we learned that one of the biggest problems was the uh, people who didn't get paid enough in the work they did in long-term care. So they had to have three jobs in different long-term care places. And the fact they were coming and going from all these places meant they were walking in with COVID. And then and secondly, you mentioned as well infection control in the context of how people lived in a lot of these residences where they were more than one person or two people to a room, and they quickly separated them and put them in hallways and in the common areas and so on to give them some distance. And those were things that were not recognized in the early going. But if I had to ask you now, those lessons having been learned and things having gone a little better, you know, not without a terrible toll, including your dad, if I had to say to you, well, what's the one thing, whether it's transparency or whether it's infection control or staffing or whatever, if you had one thing where you could sort of wave the magic wand and take either the recommendations from this report or one of your own to improve the safety of the residents of long-term long care, what would it be? 
Well, I mean, considering this report focuses specifically on inspections, I would say beef up, like give give the inspectors more teeth and start actually giving out proper fines. But in, in general, I think it's hard to pick one thing, but if I had to pick one thing, it would be staffing. I mean, if you have the proper amount of staff, that is going to affect the overall home. You know, I don't think there's any question about that. And one of the things that we were able to do in a, in a non-profit setting in the city of Toronto owned and municipally owned long-term care residences was mm-hmm. we didn't have to achieve a profit margin. And so when you don't have to achieve a profit margin, pick a number, whether it's 8%, 10%, whatever the number is, that money can be put into more staffing or better pay for the staff or, you know, things like that. It's just a fact of life. Uh, so then the, the municipal yeah. ones aren't perfect, but they did have that feature about them that is non-profit. Kathy Parks, uh, thank you, because I know I'm sure this does cause you to have to relive a tragedy in your own family, but you're doing uh, great things by being an advocate and speaking out on these things as you did then and as you are doing now. Uh, Kathy Parks lost her father, Paul, a resident of Orchard Village during the pandemic, and the Ombudsman has just now reported on long-term care in the pandemic and said that the system didn't function well uh, during that time, and hopefully uh, the recommendations are adopted and we do uh, better when day-to-day, but not no, we don't have to wait for the next pandemic. That could be 100 years from now, hopefully. Pa- Kathy, thanks very much, Kathy. Thank you.